My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. This is a CBC podcast. Let me take you back in time, back to the 80s, a time when the music was great, greed was good, Nancy and Ronald Reagan were in the White House, and a certain doll dominated the toy market. But you were going to get through the holidays without hearing from us about the Cabbage Patch dolls? Wrong. The intensity of this search for these dolls. A full-grown woman taking a doll out of a child's hand? This was the beginning of what would roll across the country. They trampled everybody. The way in which people reacted in stores, this was new. What do we tell our little girl this morning? What are we supposed to say? You've been good, but Santa ran short? This is a story about the worst parts of capitalism. It's an excerpt from Billion Dollar Babies, a new documentary about the phenomenon that was the Cabbage Patch Kids and what that phenomenon says about us at that time. Dan Goodman is the executive producer of Billion Dollar Babies. He's in New York City. Dan, good morning. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Well, I'm well. Why would you want to make in 2023 a documentary about the Cabbage Patch Dolls? <clears throat> well, it's the 40th anniversary, believe it or not, first of all, um, of their release and the and the toy craze of it all. But, you know, we started this project a couple of years ago, kind of right after uh, COVID was sort of on the decline and people were going back into stores and we were seeing ads for Black Friday thinking, man, this is the first time people are going to be back in stores, uh, you know, after being cooped up. And if they were going crazy before, Mm. they're going to go absolutely nuts. And so we started just look, kind of looking into the history of it, you know, and 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 sort of what happened and where it came from. And what was interesting is the more we dug into it, the more we found that there were a lot of great toy fads before. Um, but this was really the first time retail shopping for a toy turned violent and people left a Toys R Us in an ambulance, you know, just trying to go and get a, a holiday gift. I want to talk about the, the, the frenzy because that's a huge part of this. But there are people yeah. who are not of a certain vintage who perhaps may not know what the mm-hmm. Cabbage Patch doll is. Can you just describe it for them? Yeah, yeah. Well, Cabbage Patch Kids was a uh, a really unique doll. It was one of the first uh, toys that we'll call, you know, mass customization. In other words... They were built in mass at scale for, you know, the public at large. But each one of these dolls, unlike a Barbie or other baby dolls or anything that had been made before, these dolls all had unique features. They had different hair, different eyes, you know, dimples, freckles. Some of them had different skin tones. They just... There were so many different combinations of dolls that each one of them was, quote unquote, unique. Uh, And it was really the first time that a doll kind of reflected, you know, the personality or traits potentially of the um, of the child. And what's more is they weren't plastic bodies. They were made out of cloth. So they were soft. Um, They had this kind of like they were meant to be, you know, kind of held and. It was very different. Just everything about these dolls was very different. The packaging was different. It was this weird 
oblong, like yellow shaped box that, you know, just everything about it. They came with adoption papers. There was a whole theme and history to these dolls. So just the whole way in which they were marketed and created and developed was just very different than any other, you know, product in that category had been before. And they looked really different than those other yeah. dolls as well. I mean, people, people describe them as kind of homely looking, like they weren't, yeah. they, they weren't, do you know, do you know what I mean? They were, I mean, they kind of listen, they, they, <laughs> when you're used to looking at Barbies uh, and then you get Cabbage Patch Kids, you know, uh, we have, we have a great toy expert uh, who's a toy historian mm-hmm. and he, one of my favorite quotes in the movie is he says, you know how like the the Disney characters, they look cute even when they're crying with the big eyes and the big forehead and they're just so adorable. He's like, that's not quite what Cabbage Patch was going for. You know, so everything about them, though, the way, you know, people would 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 describe them is they were vulnerable they 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 brought out you know they brought out some kind of maternal instinct in the kids and it wasn't just girls it was the first doll really mass marketed in this way to boys as well you know trying to teach them to be little fathers so just everything about the way that you interacted with this doll and then there's a great debate like are they ugly potato face mm. looking you know homely dolls or are they cute and vulnerable i don't know it's really in the eye of the beholder they have kind of an amazing backstory as well i mean they started out initially people thought of them as a, as a form of art right yes well uh you know we were very fortunate to be able to spend time with xavier roberts who's the founder and creator of cabbage patch who Kids. also has a wild story he he's you know he's got he's had a journey uh, and and we and we delve into it he you know he he really saw himself as an artist um and that's really where he came up you know he he was he was quilting and creating what you would call soft sculpture uh, art and you know he said he wanted it to be art but they were very poor growing up so he would quilt these blankets and whatever he wanted it to be art, but they were things they needed. They needed blankets. They needed these things. So as he got older, you know, everything he was doing, he really saw as artwork. And he saw these, what he created originally before Couch Patch Cat Kids called Little People. Um, he saw them as little, unique, individual people. And he really, you know, he he really went with that dream and created a whole world around it. There's a Baby Hospital still exists in Cleveland. You have, to, uh, you, have to, you have to explain what that is because there's footage in the film of this baby hospital, which it can feel like you're having a bit of a fever dream as you watch it. Um, describe, <laughs> describe, describe what what you show in in, in the film of this yeah, this baby hospital for dolls. It really is a fever dream. I mean, it's cra- it's really nuts. It's also very brilliant marketing. Um, it's, it's literally originally, it was a doctor's office that was, uh, sort of falling apart. And Xavier made a deal with this, with this, um, medical facility, this clinic where I think he actually went as a child to the doctor and said, look, let me rent it. Let me take it over and I'll refurbish it and I'll take it off your hands. And he turned it into a refurbished quote unquote baby hospital, so when you walk in, there's cribs, there's incubators, there's, you know, um, little areas that the kids are sitting out in, and it's filled with dolls, you know, and they're all doing things. They're 
taking a nap. They're doing a thing. And they've got doctors and nurses in full garb walking around, feeding the babies, taking their temperatures. And then every hour, Mother Cabbage delivers, gives birth and delivers another Cabbage Patch Kid. And it's the most bizarre funny thing ever at its peak how popular were these dolls i mean we heard a little bit of it at the frenzy at the beginning people lost their minds when when this thing well, was was really out there people lost their minds i mean it was it, th there were fads before but this was just next level insanity and uh i would say at the time i mean you really it 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 was before social media and mainstream media was really serving as social media because there was nowhere that you could look and not see a message about Cabbage Patch Kids. It was so intense that at one point the New York State government actually issued a complaint against Coleco, who was manufacturing the dolls, accusing them of harassing children because you can't advertise a product like this that you can't actually go out and buy. Um, I mean, that's how out of control this was getting. And it was really a combination of what was happening at the time where, you know, the economy was improving, where people wanted to start to do more for their kids. It was the 80s. So it was really about starting to spend more and be okay with doing for yourself. And that in combination with the way the, the dolls were very unique, they really spoke to the kids in a very unique way. And then combined with the very, very scarce uh, availability was just this perfect storm of craziness. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. The media yeah. had a huge role, role to play in this, and you, you talk a little bit about that um, already, yeah. but you, 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 there's a lot that's in the film with people like Connie Chung, uh, yes. former news anchor at the time. Let me just play something from the film, and then I'll get you to talk yeah. more about it. Great. It got out of our hands, honestly, and, and you are partially responsible for that. It became an immediate event. Members of the media are all uh, complicit in societal trends. It's all part of the diet that television news disseminates. We had a lot of national publicity, and people found it intriguing. Johnny Carson, Newsweek, The Merv Griffin Show, Time Magazine. Then, then I was also went on Ted Koppel on Nightline. So he's going, well, Mr. Khan, what are you doing about the shortage? How are you dealing with the shortage of Cabbage Patch Kids? You know, you are making a lot of people very angry. How did the media? coverage fuel the frenzy over the Cabbage Patch doll? And we'll get to the shortage in a moment, but just the general awareness of, of, of what the Cabbage Patch kids were. Well, look, media wants to cover things that, you know, they think are going to generate audience, right? And so it kind of just is a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. They start talking about it being a thing and it just becomes more of a thing. There's a great quote and Connie Chung is just amazing. Um, and one of the things she talks about is the Today Show gave them a five-minute segment. And in a day that's pre-streaming, you know, pre-like 
hundreds of cable channels. That national media, it's 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 very valuable today, but then it was really all there was. And to give a five-minute segment, Connie's got a great line where she says, if we'd had a Middle East world leader on, would we have really given that person five minutes? I, I can't say that we would have. It just puts it in perspective about really how the media latched onto this. It was just a story that they could not get enough of because I think just like everybody, they were dumbfounded uh, by the by the not just ferocity of the reaction, but the speed at which we got there. It was just unlike anything anybody had ever seen before. What happened around Christmas 1983? Because the media has a role to play in, in goosing that attention, obviously. Well, because of all the frenzy, Coleco announces that they're going to stop running ads. Um, you know, they're getting these complaints from like New York state government and all these things are, all right, we're going to pull back the ads. And instead, what happens is, of course, it has the total opposite effect. And the media starts glomming on to the fact that there's no more ads. And now that's the story. It, it's so crazy that there's no more ads. And so now the media starts showing up as people are lining up hours before stores are opening interviewing people. Are you willing to go and fight for a doll? How much are you spending? Who are you here for? You know, and they're just showing these lines of people in every city and every store that are selling these things, you know, hundreds of people lining up to get 50 dolls, 30 dolls. Like these stores did not have thousands of units of product. So it just became this frenzy. And once started, pe people started getting hurt. Media latched onto that, too. They're showing people getting into, you know, ambulances. Because there, there were, there were riots there. in stores. People were beating each other to try to get these dolls. Literally beating each other. I mean, literally pushing, shoving, grabbing boxes out of small children's hands. You know, one was so bad that the manager got up on the on the counter with a baseball bat to try to push people back and was so distraught later said he feared for his life that he and the security guards decided they would just start throwing the boxes of cabbage patch kids into this mob in the hopes that just take them and get out of my store you know it was traumatic why why did that happen somebody in the film talks about accidental scarcity there's this idea that that you know you couldn't get the doll, um, yeah. and whether the dolls were available or not is another matter. The belief amongst the people who wanted to buy the dolls was that there weren't enough that were out there. What yeah. role did that play in the riots that unfolded? Well, I mean, it, you know, it played it played every it had everything to do with it. Um, you know, again, the scarcity alone is not enough. Um, it was really the combination of what was happening at the time in the, the economics, you know, kind of picking up in the country and parents wanting to do for their kids things they couldn't do before during the, you know, 70s, late 70s. Uh, and this uh, um, product that was really unique that just spoke to kids. Uh, the FCC at the time had changed advertising rules to children so you could advertise directly to kids, speak to them directly 
on Saturday mornings, you know, when there were cartoons and all this kids programming going. So you had something that really spoke to them. And then you had scarcity that just put it over the top. So the scarcity alone was not the cause, but what that scarcity did is took something that would have been a really successful product into an unimaginable frenzy. It's like this idea of manufacturing desire that you create the need in somebody for something, even though they didn't even know that it existed, you know, well, five that's minutes the before. Thing. And it's still, it's still a staple kind of to this day, right? It's still a marketing strategy. You, you, you want to manage inventory and, and people still do it. I mean, and it's happened over and over again, Tamaguchi's and Furby's and Tickle Me Elmo's and, you know, on and on and on. After Cabbage Patch Kids, manufacturers lurk, looked at how do I get my own riot worthy toy? It's just not how people thought before Cabbage Patch. Riot-worthy toy. Yeah. How did uh, you spend time with Xavier Roberts? This is, and again, people who had the doll, they'll remember that he, yeah. his signature was on the bum of the doll. <laughs> that's right. Which is kind of creepy in and of itself, but that's another matter. How does yeah. he look back on, on all of this? Well, that's the thing that's fun about, you know, have, doing the documentaries and being able to speak to the people who are actually on the front line. And we really wanted to do this in a way that was not just a wikipedia retelling of the you know play by play but get into the emotions of it because only xavier can tell you how he was feeling about it at the time and <clears throat> the thing that i thought was really interesting and it wasn't just with xavier but it was with most of the people who were responsible for bringing this into the world um <clears throat> they all had this very surreal you know, account of what happened, you know, th this idea that they were sort of this out of body experience, watching something else happen, you know, the the the, the dolls were so, um, so inspired by love and care and family that the idea that people would be rioting and beating each other for these things was just such a foreign concept to you know, Xavier and what he ever intended these dolls to be that, you know, he talks about it as not feeling real. You know, the, the best story I think that he, one of the best stories that I think he tells is about the way he found out the craze was happening was he was running an errand and running into a big box store to pick something up. And he got there and just kind of walked in the door past this giant line and people were freaking out. Like, what are you doing? You got to get to the back of the line. He's like, I'm just, what do you mean? I'm going in to pick up a, they're like, no, 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 back of the line. He's like, well, what are you all, what, what, for what? They're like Cabbage Patch Kids. What's wrong with you? And he's like, you're lining up for Cabbage Patch Kids? And at that point where he was like, oh man, this is, what is going on here? So I just think he felt like it was all very surreal and very out of body experience. Um, and something that just he never saw coming. Do you see a direct line between what happened then and the madness that people will see on television and beyond of, of, of Black Friday and the Black well, Friday sales? Well, I mean, sales? We, you know, we certainly suggest it in, in, in the film. You know, we do. I, I can't help but, you know, I mean, you, you put side by side people bum rushing the doors for Cabbage Patch Kids you know, and you put it side by side with, uh, you know, Target on Black Friday running for TV specials, uh, you can't help but see the parallels, you know, and can't help but wonder 
And, th and this is one of the questions we pose in the documentary, just from a social perspective as a society, you know, is this, is this who we want to be? Is this, you know, we didn't look at it and go, wow, that was a really bad idea. Mm. <laughs> you know, it made money. And so we're a capitalist society. So we looked at it and went, oh, well, maybe I can get a riot worthy toy and we can create our own frenzy and craziness. Um, and it's just still going. It's still going to this day. We're just a bit out of time. Let me ask you a couple of quick things. One is yeah. these dolls are still really popular. I mean, you see there are images in, in the film of, of adults yeah. with rooms filled with these dolls. Yeah. Uh, if you go onto eBay, one is listed yeah. for $7,800. Oh my gosh. Why, yeah. why do you think the appeal of this doll continues today? I think it's one of the things that made them very appealing to begin with. There's no right or wrong way to play with them. They just speak to kids um, and, you know, frankly, adults in a way that is, like I said, is very maternal. Um, you just you just feel for these dolls. They They elicit emotion because of the way they look. They're not perfect. They're you know, kind of frumpy. They just bring out that, like, you want to care for them. And there's just some, you know, something about the attachment. When we tell people about the doc and, and that, you know, that we were making it, everybody had a story of a certain age and everybody knows exactly where their Cabbage Patch kids are. Mm. They don't throw them out. They've got them still. When we showed, when we screened this at film festivals, we had Theaters full of people come and all of brought bringing their dolls, bringing their kids uh, to the theater with them. They all have them. It, it's amazing. And they know the name. Oh, that was Donna Rosalinda. Sure. I had her when I was, you know, <laughs> they just, you know, it just, it speaks to people because it's just sparks the imagination. Which answers in some ways the last question, which is you can imagine there are people who say, this is just a doll and toys come and toys go. You mentioned Tamagotchi and what yeah. the other... You know, as you said, riot-worthy uh, toys of years past. Why does it matter that this one doll was so wildly popular? What does it say about us? Well, I, I think it was just the first of so many things that it lingers, you know, and it's just been inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame as of this year. Um, and, you know, when you look back 40 years later and people still have such a, a, a severe emotional reaction to these dolls, you just start to understand uh, the pop culture influence that it really had in in the world. And, you know, it was, like I said, it was the first, you know, kind of customized product. It was the first doll of its kind to be designed for individual kids and, and really speak to their individuality. Um, you know, it was the first one to be kind of a premium product, you know, price thing. Just a lot of firsts for that doll that, makes it endure. Do you have one? <laughs> well, I do now because Xavier gave us a, a little person uh, that he signed for us, which uh, is phenomenal uh, and is great. And my sisters, I mean, they've got rooms full of them still that my mother used to make little fur coats for them and dresses. And they used to literally <laughs> like make clothes. I mean, it was out of control. Yeah. We had hundreds, like not hundreds, but we had tons of them in the house. Which probably is very familiar to many people who will watch this film. Dan, it's really good to sure. talk to you about this. Thank you very it was much. Great to talk to you. Take care. Thank you. Dan Goodman is executive producer of the new documentary, Billion Dollar Babies. He was in New York City. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.